Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Popcorn for Breakfast. We're doing things a little bit differently this week. We're recording our review separately from the rest of our show, which is something that we haven't done in a long time. Kirk's here with me. Kirk, say hello. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. That's right. And uh, date of recording on this guy is Friday, August 6th, or I guess technically... Technically, we just crossed 1 a.m. on Saturday, August 7th, so uh, I guess technically Saturday. <laughs> but the reason we're doing this is that we saw the Suicide Squad, the Suicide Squad, on Thursday night, opening night, August 5th, in the wee hours, and uh, we couldn't wait to get our thoughts in review form, and Kirk is getting ready to head out on some well-deserved R&R, so we thought... Let's get this guy. Let's get it done. Let's talk about it. Let's get it done. And who knows? I may get a little bit wild while you're gone, Kirk. I may re- I may release this review on a Monday. I don't Whoa. know because I just want to ride. I kind of want to ride the Suicide Squad hype train. I think a lot of people who are interested in this movie are going to see it this weekend because of the fact that it's available in theaters and on HBO Max and the fact that the marketing for this has been really good and really thorough and they've been they've been really blown it out of the water i feel like kirk let me know what you think i feel like this is the most hyped movie of 2021 so far yes i would agree with that i would agree with that i would agree with uh dropping this on a monday because i think a lot of people are going to watch this whether they go to the theater our theater was mildly 30 percent full yeah it wasn't Um, that full but it was 10 15 on a thursday so Right, right. And then, uh, of course, I didn't even uh, realize it, uh, uh, your co-host in the movie podcast, that it was dropping on uh, HBO Max. I forgot this. So I think that there's going to be a lot of people engaged seeing if it was better than the first one. Maybe they never saw the first one. Um, But there are some nice little nuggets if you did see the first one right out the gate in this one. So hopefully you did. Hopefully you watched the first Suicide Squad before you watched the Suicide Squad. Yeah, I like that. I like that point. And actually, um, I have now seen it, you know, we, we saw it, you know, 24 hours ago is whenever I got home from seeing it the first time in theaters and I've already watched it. I had just finished watching it a second time on HBO wow. Max. So I've seen that I've gotten the in theater experience and the in home experience. So this is going to be a really well rounded, <laughs> well rounded review, but it's a good point you bring up about the first one. I think it's natural to want to compare these movies, and that's fair. Um, I think something that I, I, I hope people will keep in mind, and this is just my personal preference, is like, let's not make this a let's attack David Ayer's Suicide Squad thing because Sorry. we know that movie is bad, but we also, like, if you read about it, there's a lot of contributing factors there, and I think the Warner Studio definitely had their hands in the cookie jar messing things up, and, and so... David Ayer is a good director and a good filmmaker. And, and even if it was his edit or whatever, like it happens. All right. Let's like, we can talk about the old suicide squad cause it makes sense. But like, I, I see a lot of people wanting to drag that David Ayer suicide squad through the mud. And I don't think that's what James Gunn would want. Actually, I know for a fact, that's not what he would want. So like, I mean, I know you and I aren't going to do this, but just to everybody, don't be that mm-hmm. guy. Don't, don't mm-hmm. be that person, please. Yeah, the reason you need to see the first one is because they 
knowing that that movie only came out a few years ago, uh, similar to Spider-Man Homecoming, we don't get yeah. a long backstory on the yes. setup of why this team is grouping and teaming up. We get a bit of that in, in kind of a flashback form, but we hit the ground running yes. in this movie, running, uh, similar to Spider-Man Homecoming, because you already met the new Spider-Man in uh, uh, Captain America Civil War. So that's why you really need to see the first one before this to appreciate what they're doing, what J- James Gunn di- is doing as a storyteller with this almost immediate turnaround of the Suicide Squad again. Yeah, I think it's funny that they almost in a very meta way like sort of acknowledge that because I think like within 10 to 15 seconds of dialogue beginning, uh, Viola Davis's character, Amanda Waller, says all right, you know the drill, (laughs) you know, and like spouts off like you've been selected for a mission. There's an explosive in the back of your head. Like she, she's saying, you know, the drill because she's, she's sort of referencing that previous film that people are aware of. So I thought that was clever and well done, but without further ado, we better dive into this thing. I'm excited to hear your thoughts. I'm excited to share some thoughts because we haven't really, we, I mean, we haven't at all really talked about the movie um, since we, which is funny. Cam and I go to such great lengths to not discuss movies where <laughs> it's we pretty absurd. O- actually, <laughs> we almost avoid speaking to each yeah. other when we see each other in person because we know we're going to want to talk about it. So we had a surprise uh, birthday party for our executive producer Ryan Spriggs. Again, happy par- birthday party! Happy surprise birthday party! Yeah. I hardly talked to you tonight, Cam. No, uh, I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't talk about the Suicide <laughs> Squad. Uh, like, I want and to pump- badly, but I can't. Yeah, when when we first started doing the podcast, I think innately I was like, "Oh no, oh he's he's upset with me uh, for no reason, <laughs> right? No reason whatsoever." And now I have more confidence that I'm like, "Okay, I gotta avoid him like the plague." Got to keep it under because... wraps, man. You got to keep it under wraps. Yeah. Um, all right, I believe it's my turn to synops. Yes, I believe it it's is. my okay. So the Suicide Squad. So I think in relation to that first film, there is a confusing relationship because this is not a sequel per se, and it's not a remake per se. It, it sort of halfway acknowledges that the first film exists, but also this is a completely standalone addition in many ways. There are some carryover cast members for sure playing the same characters that they played in the first film, but any sort of references, etc., plot points, certainly no plot points from the original movie, or anything. So this is really its own thing and for all intents and purposes should be treated as such. So the plot of this film is that Amanda Waller, Viola Davis, is once again assembling a ragtag crew of criminals to complete a black ops mission on behalf of the U.S. government. And uh, their mission is to go to an island nation called Cordo Maltese and uh, retrieve some intel from this huge, uh, like, research silo that they have called Jodenheim. Yes. Um, and it has some information about the U.S. and government, U.S. government's involvement with a uh, secret project called Project Starro, which involves literally a a extraterrestrial starfish that was captured from space in the U.S. government is now ha- now has fallen into the hands of um, the Cordo Maltese government and, and is, you know, at risk of endangering the world. 
that sounds absurd. And as absurd as that sound, as absurd as that sounds, it's actually much more absurd <laughs> than that yes. in the movie. Um, and you find out that the U.S. government was trying to cover it up, but they don't really care. It's it's a whole thing. So that is the basic premise. We have a massive cast of characters, um, many of which you have seen on the posters, but just to rattle off a few, like the, the main characters that we're sort of dealing with this in this movie is Harley Quinn, Colonel Rick Flagg, um, Bloodsport, Peacemaker, Ratcatcher 2, Polka Dot Man, King Shark, uh, there are others, <laughs> you know, that happen that that come in and out intermittently, and our main antagonists are the Thinker, played by Peter Peter Capaldi, and then Starro, which is literally a Godzilla-sized starfish with a giant eyeball. Um, so we will talk plenty about that. Kirk, is there anything else I need to add before we dive into the deets? There's nothing. There, there's it's this film is so absurd and i was initially i mean i trust james gunn but i was a little worried with uh with some of the costumes and some yeah, of the it's ambitious dialogue but man did he pull in you know i'm showing my hand now to, did he pull all the absurdity in in a strangely grounded and realistic way i yeah. don't get it i don't get how you can do that but he did it man he did it yeah yeah it's uh it's something. I'm excited to talk more about it. So let's dive in without further ado into the superlatives. I'm going to kick us off and I'm going to start with the Oscar goes to. And this is difficult because I just rattled off a bunch of character names and Kirk, that was the one thing that we talked about just before. This is how many different roles there are to consider for these superlatives. So after almost an entire 24 hours of deliberation, I have to give it to Margot Robbie, Miss Har- Miss Harley Quinn. I just think I am just f- so frequently amazed by what she is able to do, the range that she has as an actor, the genuineness that she brings to every role. I mean, she is a true professional and, and someone who goes to great lengths to play, um, to do the best that she absolutely can. And I think... On paper, someone might look at Harley Quinn and think that she is an easy role to play because she's sort of a caricature in, in nature. You know, she's got like that um, that Jersey accent and she's like very like crazy, psychopath, flamboyant. Like it'd be easy to deliver those lines, but it's what's difficult is that she has to have interactions with people in this movie, like re- like people with different intentions and motives and things like that and to make all of that work she has to put a lot of work into every single interaction that she's having it's not just like these like slapsticky one-liners harley quinn type of things like she's actually developing relationships she's developing her character a lot more than we've seen harley quinn developed in any dc property so far even birds of prey which was basically a solo harley quinn film Um, And she's doing all of that and and working super hard at it, but making it look effortless. And, um, you know, the action sequences, she's asked to do so much in this film. And there's a couple things that I really love. I think James Gunn is a smart guy. And and one of the the dead giveaways is that um, you hear people talk about in sports a lot of times is like, let your stars do their thing. Just get out of their way. Like if you're coaching star players, like let them let the, like put them in a position to do their best. 
there are good long chunks of this film where Margot Robbie is in scenes by herself carrying the plot line forward. And that's just a masterful move. Like she's, she's a star. She's an Academy award level actor, you know, has been nominated. Um, Give her scenes to just drive the plot forward and grow this character that is beloved. And there's good chunks of the movie where that's happening. And I think that that's a great move. Um, But also, uh, you know, you hear people say a lot of the times these days that the age of the movie star is over. And I say as long as Margot Robbie's in the fold, I disagree with that sentiment. I think she's as true a movie star as we'll get in this day and age. And there's nothing she can't do. And I don't, I don't even think she's really scratched the surface of her potential yet. So Margot Robbie is Harley Quinn. That's my Oscar. And uh, yeah, no doubter for me. Yeah, well, uh, that's mine too, Cam. So thanks for stealing my Oscar. <laughs> it goes straight to Miss Margot Robbie. Miss Margot Robbie of Neighbors fame. Uh, she was in 327 episodes. I think that's why she had all the time in the world, uh, the, the famous uh, Australian Australian show Neighbors, where she was able to find her footing and just clean up there's so there's two ways that that show can go and any kind of soap opera can go though i think neighbors is on a different level than what we have from our americanized soap operas you can either come out of it and be an incredible actor because you've had such a long uh kind of stewing period absolutely terrible actor coming out of it because you you fell into the tropes of of not figuring out a character or figuring out realistically why you were doing the crazy things thrown at you. You were, this is what Margot Robbie does and what she's always wanted to do. 327 episodes that Pan Am Wolf of wall street Z for Zachary Z for Zachariah big short. Um, what else are some big ones? I won't say legend of Tarzan. I Tanya <laughs> incredible role. Um, goodbye, Christopher Robin. Bombshell goes on if you haven't seen her in any any of these make sure you do make sure you see her outside of the role of harley quinn but also that is why she gets two oscars tonight uh because absolutely incredible impeccable nuanced behavior just like cam was saying is that in there these moments of of screaming uh where she is where she is um just playing it comedically but playing it so honestly like the honesty the direct line of her character's objective when she kills uh the the handsome man with with the eight pack abs i forget <laughs> yeah. his name because he gets gone pretty quick um who she's quickly falls in love with and then she realizes hey you want to kill kids nah man i'm bad but i'm not gonna do that and she kills him and she's mad about it but she's harley quinn mad about it but you can feel her honesty you can feel sincere rage rather than uh, uh you know the 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 joker's sidekick you know hitting hitting him with the big old hammer her ability to do that uh and the same thing like you said cam her ability to create individual specific relationships with different characters throughout the film she does this time and time again in all of her films she's not just being She's not internalizing how she's feeling against those people. She's internalizing how she's feeling when she's with those specific people. And again, that is the sign of a true fantastic actor. We see plenty of of moments in here where 
uh, she is in true panic where some Harley Quinn, who seemingly is uh, a, a weapon of chaos, where we see it in her eyes, the actual fear creep in strictly in her eyes. And she's like, oh, no, this could be the end. And you believe it. You believe that this is where they're going to take her down, because why not? You know, every superhero can come back and villain can come back. Who knows when they're going to offer? But. They didn't. Thank goodness. Thank goodness she's still around. And I think Margot Robbie is going to be playing this character like Hugh Jackman played Wolverine because, man, is she good at it. She is just made for it. Love it. Yeah, I was I was actually thinking to myself, I was like, dude, is Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn like the Tony Stark of the DC universe? At this mm. point, I think you'd have to say that she kind of is, which is so bizarre because <laughs> she's obviously a villain or I guess anti-hero. I don't know, but not your typical, um, you know, flagship character by any yeah, means. Mr. J. So it's, uh, it's interesting, but I think, you know, it's hard to make an argument against it at this point. And, and you get, you just have to respect her fearlessness to can, you know, she's reached a point in her career where she doesn't have to take roles that stretch her outside of her comfort zone. And, and she continues to take these roles that are challenging and different and, 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 and demanding. And, and, and so I think there's, there's a lot to respect there about that. So, all right, moving right along to Scene Stealer. This is where things get interesting, and this is where the decisions get really hard because there are so many people in this film that you would really call a scene stealer at, at any given point in time. But for me, I'm going with Daniela Melchior, who plays Ratcatcher 2. Ratcatcher 2, not Ratcatcher 1, um, <laughs> <laughs> because they explain in... I think it's John Cena who has a line where he's like, Ratcatcher 2, what we couldn't even afford, Ratcatcher 1. And they're like, <laughs> you know, Ratcatcher 1 is her, her dad and, and he's deceased or something like that. So um, that's the reason for the name behind the character. But this is a character you go into it not expecting to connect with per se, but James Gunn so masterfully makes her the center of the entire thesis for this movie, which is that anyone and anything for that matter has value you know and has has a unique purpose for why they are on this planet and they have something that they can provide and, and that's why rat catcher is the perfect catalyst because everybody hates rats and thinks they are worthless vermin but she commands them and uses them and she sees value in them and that's what this whole misfit plot thing really is is like all of these guys who are prisoners, low lives. They have value. They can provide something. That's that's sort of the th the whole thesis of the movie. And so Ratcatcher 2 becomes the conduit for that. And the thing that's interesting about this character is that she's not really your typical prisoner. Like the sort of the reason that she's there is that they're like this power is too great. We have to keep her under wraps. So we're going to put her in Bell Reeve, but because of that, Daniela Melchior isn't playing like a typical criminal. You know, she's she's very warm-hearted. She sees the best in people. She tries to make friends with, you know, King Shark, who's this like who like tried to eat her in her sleep. You know, <laughs> like she is warm and 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 kind and sees the best in people, um, and she plays that amongst all these very different strong personalities. She plays it in such a very genuine way. I mean. There are scenes with her where she's 
you know, on set probably standing across from some guy in a mocap suit who is playing uh, King Shark, and she's she's looking into his eyes with such genuineness and love and you can just feel it she also has this great monologue where she's talking about her dad who's actually played by Taika Waititi in this film um and and talking about the rats and she gets this moment to shine and the camera's following her across and the lighting is coming through the window of the bus just so and it's like man a star is born you know Mm -hmm. she just really delivers um she's a Portuguese actor she's newer on the scene I don't think this is at all the last that we'll see of Daniela Melchior. I hope I'm saying that right. I watched a few videos to try to figure it out. Um, but she was fantastic. And I think most people who see this movie are going to fall in love with that character. Yeah, I would say the first half of the movie, I was actually leading towards her for my best actor. Uh, you know, yeah, the yeah. Goes to. Uh, she, she really did an incredible job. And I wonder how big we, we will see her in the future. Who knows? Yeah. My scene stealer goes to Mr. John Cena. (laughs) This one was unexpected for me because uh, easily the most ridiculous looking character in the trailer and from all the promos, you're like, did he pick that? Like, I know he's a wrestler, you know, former wrestler. He steps back into the ring. Like, did he do that himself? Um, Clearly not, because clearly it comes from the mind the genius of Mr. James Gunn. Dude, John Cena, I've seen him in some pretty, pretty stinky roles, pretty stinky roles, most notably, most recently <laughs> in uh, in Fast 9. Uh, yeah. the fa- uh, I'm sorry, F9, the Fast Saga, excuse me. And he was terrible. I, I hated every moment of him in that movie, <laughs> which was so recent we just reviewed it. He was incredible in this movie. This role made for him, much, much like... Uh, uh, Harley Quinn and Margot Robbie, seeing him take on this role and just be completely just a, a full-on idiot most of the time, but then also having true reason behind um, what he chooses is peacemaking and what is not. Uh, he plays peacemaker, he goes around, and he is very similar to Bloodsport. He has just got incredible aim. He is raised uh, by, a, by a murderer, by a hitman, if you will, and knows everything about killing. So that's why he's so good at what he does. This There's not a moment that goes by, a beat that goes by, where uh, he doesn't even have to be at the forefront to make his joke. Um, right, right as uh, as a king shark is about to eat your girl <laughs> rat catcher too, the <laughs> whole team comes up. He doesn't say a word, but with just utter um, just confidence, comes up in just these very bright whitey tidies and just seriously just like stares down King Shark. I mean, he probably doesn't have dialogue for four minutes and that scene runs on. You just keep seeing him in his underwear and not like a dead on shot with him, just him in the background of the group. And that he just, the camera is drawn to him. Your eyes are drawn to him because of it. And he just, it's not just about being a pretty body and a pretty face. He really does. You do have to work at that and make that happen uh, to, to really have the, the the camera presence uh, to draw to be drawn near you and just moments and moments and moments more like that even in the final battle scenes where he's turned and he's taking on his mission very seriously to destroy the files to make sure those don't leave when we find out the government has been uh, covering this up uh, with the giant starfish he he turns on the entire team and starts trying to take them all out take does take a few out but he he commits to that that role, that goal, that super objective of being a peacemaker 
in that he's not going to let anyone disturb his vision or perspective of peace and justice. He will let nothing stand in the way. And I thought that that, that balance was really well done in a way that I've never seen John Cena. And I admittedly, I've probably only seen about four John Cena movies, this being one of them and F9, the fast saga being one of the other ones. But I really, really, I mean, I was just hoping every moment that there was more and more John Cena screen time. Brilliant, brilliant job. Loved it. I love that you bring it up. First of all, I think it's a great choice and and he was high on my list as well. But um, there is a scene, man, towards the end where he has he has killed Colonel Rick Flagg and he's in total scorched earth mode. You know, his 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 mission directive is to recover the, the disc with the files on it and to get the heck out of Dodge and he'll do whatever it takes to get that done. And he is about to gun down you know, point blank in broad daylight, Rat Catcher 2, who is this, like like I said, like this loving yeah. character. And you can see the anguish on his face. And, and, and he's, you know, his, his whole face is twitching and shaking. You can see, you know, sweat and tears and everything. And she asks him, she's like, why do you have to kill me? You know, just like so sweetly. And you can see that that question causes a very like existential question in him like who am i what am i and then he just says because i'm thorough and cocks the gun and it is money i mean it is so good i was like man the writing the delivery the act like all of it so good and and shockingly good to come from john cena who's who's a a relatively new actor in general so Mm -hmm. um great call out I, i love that pick okay showstopper um so for me, it's the character design, which I thought was flawless. I think bringing comic book characters to the screen, again, one of these things that seems like it would be easy but is actually quite difficult because you have to make something that is a literal cartoon make sense in the context of reality, even if your reality is completely absurd. When you have this many characters and this many different textures blending all of that together so that it all looks right and and meshes is very hard. And and it's a credit to James Gunn's vision, his cast and crew, specifically the costume design team who, who like the Peacemaker costume, the Polka Dot Man costume. I mean, come on. This stuff was really well made and really thoughtfully designed. I mean, you look at Harley Quinn, they removed a tattoo from her face and they changed the text on the tattoo on her shoulder that used to say property of the Joker. Now it says property of no one. That attention to detail, man, you have to respect it. That is someone who is just dialed in, is really loving what they are doing and trying to do their absolute best. And I will always give people an A for effort when they're trying that hard. And it just works, man. When the polka dot man has his, uh, like whatever infection thing going on and the polka dots are glowing on his face, it looks really crazy. You're like, how are they doing that? And then whenever he expels the polka dots and how colorful and beautiful it is, like it's incredible. All of the, all of the character design is so great. He literally brought comic book, he brought comic book characters right out of the pages, made them even more vibrant than they were in the comics and brought them to life in film. And 
it's remarkable to watch. Shout out to the whole crew that was involved in that process, the storyboarding, you know, the artists, and then the costume designers, like I said. Um, it's It makes it a, a beautiful visual spectacle outside of the practical and visual effects, just in the design. And, and even, let's, let's talk about Starro, the giant starfish. How do you make that work? I don't know, but he did. He did. He made it work within the context of the film. And it shouldn't. It's a giant CGI starfish. It's preposterous. And it's <laughs> pink and blue uh, with a giant eyeball. So, I mean, truly one of the most ridiculous things ever. But it looks fantastic and kind of scary. And it just all works. It, it all works. And it's, it is incredible to watch. I love that. I love that. Mine is a little bit more specific. And it goes down to the extension of the the first authentic extension of the DC universe where, and it, it lies totally on Harley Quinn. Uh, so in birds of prey, we get a very unique look at, of Harley Quinn. We get this animation, we get lots of slow-mo screaming, all these sorts of little tricks and tropes. James Gunn must've liked that enough because he put it, in a lot of, uh, of Margot Robbie's scenes here, we get several slow-mo captures. They're not extensive like birds of prey was. They're not, um, there, there's not, a, there's not too many of them as well. There's probably three max, but they're at pivotal moments in what she is trying to do, whether she's trying to escape, whether she's realizing something, um, or whether she's being a hero in that, in that moment versus being a villain. And we also see those those flowers, just like just bright color flowers, just spraying everywhere when she is just murdering people in just horrible, horrible ways and gruesome ways. And I just thought that you know we've had we've had all of the the setup for the for the DC for the Justice League that all of that failed, all of it, none of it was connected appropriately, none of it. This had a stronger connection, a stronger interfilm connection to the greater DC universe than anything they've put out there so far, strictly because you have, you already have an established character who's been in, uh, what has she been in three films, maybe four, mm -hmm. I've lost count. And you have a unique characteristic from a different director placed upon her in this film. And I just thought that that was brilliant because even if you didn't see Birds of Prey, you saw the trailer, maybe you thought that was part of the uh, special kind of attention getter. No, it's in there. It's in there. And this was really cool to see him honor the character and keep it in the same universe. It was so brilliant. I was just glued uh, during during the big, especially the big long sequence when she murdered about 70 people and the flowers <laughs> were spurting behind her. Yeah, that scene looks great. That scene yeah. is a visual spectacle, you know, above all else. Even even minus, you know, those great deep uh, connections that you're talking about there. Just looking at it, you're like, wow, this looks great. Mm -hmm. um, that's a great pick. Uh, okay, other side, director shoes. This was hard because I didn't have much to poke at in this movie. My one my one gripe is there is. One part, let's call it the third act of the film where they're inside Jotunheim and they're doing the sort of like, here's what this team is doing, here's what this team is doing to bounce back and forth. There is a bit there before the big Starro showdown where I think the pacing um, and the momentum suffers just a tad and it, and it takes a little bit 
a little bit to build back up. Um, not because of anything necessarily that's happening on screen. When I watched it back, I think what it really is, is that it's the first time in the movie where there are long sequences without dialogue. And the dialogue in the movie is so, um, has such a rhythm to it and, and is so fast-paced and dynamic and funny that it gives so much life to the film. So when the dialogue goes away, even though it's replaced by explosions and fighting and, and things that catch your eye, the, um, you know, your, your, your brain sort of starts to ease off a little bit because it doesn't have to focus as much as on what's being said. And so it gives this, it gives this, you know, sort of feeling that there's some momentum being lost and, and it's, it's right around the like one hour 45 mark in the film. So you're already deep into it at that point. So that's why I think even more it contributes to that. But that's really, that's really my only main gripe is that I think there's this, there's just a slight pacing momentum uh, release there in, in that like first part of the third act. <laughs> so mm. there's, there's specificity for you, I guess. <laughs> Uh, my pick would have to be, um, I don't, I can't even remember this character's name. Uh, again, it's the man with the eight pack abs. Um, he is basically just a stepping point for, um, the villains to really get some good character dev. We get Harley Quinn falls in love with him, uh, very quickly and then falls out of love with him immediately in one of the biggest jump scares of the past century with the gunshot. <laughs> She blows through his chest. I mean, Cameron practically caught me uh, in the theater. I also jumped. I did. <laughs> it was so unexpected. And the the decibel level that they cranked that, the sound editor cranked that, um, I hate you because it scared me half to death. Uh, brilliant move. Brilliant move from a plot perspective because it really rattled you in a way that you couldn't come down for for a long time. Um, but I also forgot that who what that character's name was entirely uh, uh, because that gunshot erased it from my mind. Um, despite all that... <laughs> The part that drives me crazy is that we get all these montages with them uh, without really a full understanding of his development, this character's development. Again, I don't even remember his name. I, th I looked through IMDb uh, earlier today. I still can't even find him. Uh, he was still relative, very, very important to the plot. Yeah, he's like the president point. of that small island nation, I guess, Corto Maltese. Yeah, yeah. So I, I feel like that was missed. And I feel that there are, we get a lot of great moments with Harley Quinn, but we get a lot of uh, just stretched moments with Harley Quinn. And that really bored me. Uh, that that plot line that really didn't seem to go anywhere until they killed him. And then I was like, okay, uh, it still was a little bit long, could have shaved that down by about seven or eight minutes and seven or eight minutes in film is a lot when you're doing character dev that just isn't going anywhere. So that that's my biggest gripe. It really threw me through a loop. Uh, the second biggest gripe I have uh, does pertain to the third act. It's the biggest trope that superhero movies go through. And DC is the biggest, uh, the biggest felon on this. They are, they just have the longest final fight scenes and they just keep going. There's part a, part B, part C, D, E, F, G. It just keeps going. And you're like, all right, like I feel like I've, I'm resolved with where the character's journey went during this fight and we're still going. Uh, it's a little bit maddening, but I feel like they could have, uh, again, condensed some of those moments down just a little bit more. Yeah, sure. 
Cool. Um, anything else we need to add before we go into final thoughts and scores? Not we- that I can think. Well, I got to say, one last thing on character design. I don't know much about Bloodsport, but, I mean, his his suit was cool. It was really cool. But I'm not totally down on his on his weapons, on his guns there. I felt like they were, like, too futuristic. But maybe I don't know enough about Bloodsport. Yeah, I mean, yeah. There's no point points he, taken he, off. He is a small character in general, so I think there was some some like creative license with that. But um, to be honest, I don't know a ton about it either. But he's not like a major character, so. Mm-hmm. Um, but his helmet is sick. Oh, the helmet is awesome. Yeah, Wouldn't and the like that. voice changer that it puts on Idris Elba's voice. Idris Elba was great in this movie too. I thought he, he was, was he was a breath of fresh air for sure in in, in this film franchise, and, and frankly, just fit a lot better than I thought. He would, even though I know he's he's great. Um, anyway, let's move into final thoughts and scores. Listen, I'm not gonna uh, I'm not gonna drag this out. I will at least I will try not to. I loved this movie, loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. I thought it was so great. I I had to watch it again today because it just was stuck in my mind, and, and I um. It's, it's just a fun movie to watch. I could see it being in my rotation. The rewatchability factor is high. The, the quality of the film in terms of design, camera work, cinematography, lighting, uh, I mean, hair and makeup, costume design, production design, it's all there, man. It really is. Like There are lots of things that people poke at comic book movies about, and I feel like it will be hard for them to poke at a lot of things in this movie in general. Um, I thought the characters were great. The humor is absolutely top-notch, hilarious, laugh-out-loud, gut-busting stuff. Um, and, and, and above all else, uh, this, what, this, what is so cool about this movie is how it, it is the perfect person making the perfect movie at the exact right time in his life. I mean, it's in this aperture point that could not have existed if – James Gunn had not been fired from Marvel because the poetic beauty of this movie is that the whole story is about redemption and about someone who is an outcast or a misfit and imperfect, most of all, how they can provide value in the world and how they can save the world and be a hero. And so this isn't about James Gunn defending anything he did that led to the reasons that he got fired by Marvel. You know, we could go round and round on that. Was it really a mistake? Was it not? Tons of opinions, but that's not the point. The point is that everybody's imperfect and everybody has failures, just like these guys. They're misfits. They're criminals. They 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 have CD backgrounds, but they have value and and they have the capacity to be kind and to love people. And that's the whole story here. And it's, it's poetically beautiful. It's masterfully executed and it is so fun to watch, which is why I believe I'm doling out my highest score ever since we started doing the podcast, which is a 9.8 out of 10 kernels for the suicide squad. Can't say enough good things about this movie. I thought it was awesome. Holy cannoli. 9.8. Dropping nuclear bombs over here. Wow. 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 That, that's fantastic. I'm so glad you loved it. I'm so glad you loved it. Yes, I'm sir. giving it a one. I'm just kidding. I'm nowhere near that. <laughs> you just want to blow our record of uh, largest point discrepancy. I respect it. I respect the hustle. Point two out of 10 kernels. <laughs> 
No, this this really is such a fun ride. It's um, I just love that the theme dropping you've given us here tonight, Cam. Um, uh, or or this morning, wherever you're, whatever you're listening, uh, you know, no evergreen <laughs> content here. Uh, at, That's right. We're 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 forwarding on one thirty seven a.m. Uh, according to my clock here, mm-hmm. but I think that James Gunn um, should only do ensemble movies because he is someone clearly innately just knows how people work and more importantly how they work together whether they work together as a team whether they work together dysfunctionally or functionally there's something in his life uh living in st louis shout out st louis that makes him (laughs) makes him uh just so self-aware of this very specific niche that we need we definitely need it because who are we if we are not connecting with those people around us, people that we love, people that we like, people that we don't get along with and people that we hate. There's different levels of that. It's not just love, hate where uh, in this world that we've, that we're live that we live in. And especially right now, there's this, uh, you're with me or you're against me feeling. And as we've talked about before, we can disagree on movies. Again, I'm not giving it a one or anything near that, but we can disagree on movies. We can disagree on, <laughs> anything but at, at the end of the day through all of that we're not we shouldn't just focus on that one decision or that one conversation or that one frustration or belief or whatever uh and and somehow some way james gunn continues to bring this up through the work that he does on film and i can't wait to see just him continuing to do to to just blow things out of the water and i really can't wait to see in a, in a mid-credit scene we see weasel survive <laughs> yes a horrible drowning <laughs> and just left on the beach and one of the most incredible runaways uh physicality that i've seen uh, of course it's his brother sean gunn uh <laughs> In, in the weasel suit, probably in mocap, and hopefully yeah, I'd like to see the behind the scenes on that. Oh, there's wearing... tons, dude. There are tons. Oh. There are tons of photos of him skulking about as weasel in full mocap on the set. It is one of my favorite things on the internet. The run that he does, uh, for, for those <laughs> of you uh, who are not going to see me do this visually, he, he stands, he's slightly hunched, not like a full hunch, like his shoulders are down but forward, and he his his arms go back and forth, like sideways as he runs. <laughs> it's absolutely... And his feet are like turned out completely. <laughs> He's like running like a cowboy walks. It's hilarious. Oh man. I mean, if you have, if you don't have a good physicality for your character, whether you're just a leading man, a romantic, um, uh, a background extra character, if you don't have the right physicality, it stands out hard. And when you have it right, it also stands out hard. And oh my gosh, he nailed it. He nailed it. Um, I'm going on and on. My score today is 8.6 out of 10 kernels. Great movie. A couple of pitfalls for me, but ultimately I'd watch it again. And um, we should have put a disclaimer at the beginning of this is that this is one of the goriest movies we have seen uh, definitely in any, in any kind of, um, capacity of a, of a superhero movie with the exception of the you know the 90s blade films where it's it's and even this is gorier than that that's mostly just blood spraying everywhere uh, i mean there are some gruesome images in this um but because they're paired with absurdity it's uh it's it's doable it's feasible yeah to i would watch say it. it's a good call out i would say if you've seen the deadpool movies you'll be all right i would say mm-hmm. 
the the movie I've been comparing it to because I feel like a lot of the violence in terms of aesthetic is Tarantino esque in this movie. Mm-hmm. The movie I've been comparing it to to people, and you can tell me if this is a bad one or not, is Inglorious Bastards. I've been I've been generally telling people so far that have asked me about it, if you can handle Inglorious Bastards, you can handle this one in terms of blood guts squeamishness yeah yeah on steroids because there's more of it right there's more but it's yeah it's the same kind and and it's not like constant it's like there's these big set pieces where there's a ton of it and then in between that there's none you know that's true yeah that's a good comparison i i believe in that uh yeah just um don't go into this thinking i'm gonna go see some bad guys make (laughs) some jokes and uh kill some good guys no no it's much more than that Uh, much more than that yeah and the other thing we should talk about is that there is an in credit scene so there is one that right after the final title card rolls, you see Weasel who has survived his drowning from the intro, which the drowning itself is a top 10 hilarious moment. Whenever Savant has to swim down to the bottom or swim down into the ocean and Weasel's just slowly falling with his arms, like unconscious. Oh my gosh, so funny. Yes. Um, th- so there's that scene where we see Weasel is alive, which thank God, I hope he appears in the inevitable sequel to this film. Um there's that. And then at the very end, there is a scene where we find out that um, Peacemaker has survived. That Peacemaker has survived being shot in the neck, like right in the jugular by Bloodsport. Um, which, of course, I shouldn't say of course, maybe people don't know this. There is a Peacemaker television show coming to HBO Max uh, that's directed by James Gunn, obviously starring John Cena. Um, so it sets up that it doesn't really set up anything else beyond that. So, and I think that's, that's for the best. That's for the best. So that is coming. That's right. Well. Currently filming, currently filming. That's yes. right. That's right. Um, all right. That's the suicide squad. Uh, glowing reviews from us overall. Anytime things are in the eights and nines, um, we're happy. We're very happy with that. Hopefully you guys get a chance to see it. And of course, let us know your thoughts. Um, do you, did you like it as much as us? Did you, did you hate it? Let's talk about it. We want to hear your thoughts. I think a ton of people will be seeing it this opening weekend. And we'll, I, I'm very heavily leaning towards dropping this review on Monday. So hopefully we'll get some good it. discussion it. about it. Um, we will be on the stream. And by we, I mean me. I, I will be on the stream Tuesday night to give you the latest in movie news and TV news and what's popping. And I will be sleeping in Hawaii because there's Ooh. a five-hour time difference. Ele Kelikimaka is the Hawaii's way. I don't know. Um, that's, that's a Christmas right. song. There's probably better Hawaiian songs to sing than that. But um, not many. Kirk will be getting some R and R, and I will be grinding it out here on the front lines with movie news. But that's okay. I wouldn't want it any other way. Um, but with that, we'll leave you guys. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always. Um, special thanks to our executive producer, Ryan Spriggs. Happy birthday one more time for Ryan. And a special shout out to Rhetoric, who created our original music. We will talk to you guys very, very soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.